Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast, brought to you by Spartan Forge. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America. Fall is upon us, and there's no better way to get fueled up before hunt than with some Black Rifle Coffee. Coffee legitimately tastes better after a day in the woods or after a successful hunt. Fuel your next adventure and purchase at www.blackriflecoffee.com and use code ANTLER at checkout to save 20% off your purchase and or with your first coffee club subscription, Black Rifle Coffee. Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tethered produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstrings strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. Our friends over at Half Rack just released some awesome gear and they were great enough to give our listeners 10% off their order. All you have to do is click on the link in the podcast bio or the link on our link tree on Instagram and that will give you your percentage off at checkout. So get some of the highest quality hunting and outdoor accessories that will help you prosper in the field. Half Rack is aiming to be mindful of the past, conservation conscious and evolve into the future. Forged in combat and tailored for hunters, Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly innovative and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can now take Spartan Forge with you wherever you go by downloading the mobile app. Enjoy deer prediction analysis, weather forecasts, historical data, detailed journaling, as well as crisp maps. It's time for you to make the most of your season and let Spartan Forge do that for you. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20%. Check it out over at spartanforge.ai. 
What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We are on episode 123. And on today's episode, Dimitri and I, we were joined by the host of the Fall Podcast, Aaron Blisey. Aaron's from Michigan, but hunts all over, films all over, and gets the job done all over. Aaron has an awesome podcast that he produces one to two episodes a week. And in this episode, Aaron answers some questions from you as listeners and some that we both threw at him about chasing whitetails. From how to hunt private land better, what are some lessons learned over the years hunting mature bucks, some changes to his gear for this upcoming season, and how hunting less and scouting more has led to more success over the recent years. Aaron is a great dude. We loved having him on. So thank you so much for taking the time, man. I appreciate it. Enjoy today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Till next week, antler up. Check. All right. Ooh, I got a you're broadcasting in three, two, one, go. Is that a new feature? That's a new feature. <laughs> official it's official we're live we're back we had a unfortunately had a take last week off so um yeah we'll, we'll see uh hopefully we'll be joined here soon by aaron and uh we'll get it rolling everybody but it is uh may 23rd monday can't hunt on sundays which would have been may 22nd uh for all those that struggle with adding like me uh <laughs> You were able to get the it done in the turkey woods on Saturday, huh? Yeah, I uh, finally put one down this year, and uh, it was I went. It was a tough season, but I didn't get out as much as I normally would this year. Uh, called one in for my dad that kind of spooked it right out of range on the first day, and then we had the crazy Saturday of rain. Literally forty eight hours of rain Friday into Saturday. Yeah. And then uh, last week it was a little rainy too. I mean, it was it was kind of overcast and wet, and I think it rained like an hour after daylight. But uh, finally had some decent weather. It was going to be hot, so uh, I actually headed down to my father in law's property uh, where um, they killed a nice bird the week weekend before. And uh, never turkey hunted it before, so I just wanted to give it a try and and heard a couple birds off the roost and set up in the big field thinking that that's where they would want to migrate. There's actually a, a small watering hole figured that's with the heat. That's where they would want to kind of travel to. And they kind of just stayed up on the ridge. I don't know if it was the, the fog or if there were some hens up there that just all morning I could every once in a while hear them gobbling. They wouldn't answer any calls. So finally I was trying to be patient and I said, I, Hey, I got to move. So kind of worked my way up over on the ridge and and uh two gobblers i was on the same level as them but there was a ravine between me and them and they were just going off i mean just hammering and uh i'm like man i gotta get to the get to the top of the ridge so i kind of beat feet straight up over the hill and got to the top of that ravine and kind of jay hooked up above them and set up and called and they were coming and coming but there was a lot of thick pines and i didn't have like i said they were coming pretty quickly so I didn't have time to kind of um make sure I had a really good spot where I had some open shots but uh it was kind of tight quarters but that's all I had and I was in a huge tree I mean huge <laughs> so I had the cover so I was uh pretty pumped for that and and they kind of hung up about 
I would say 50, 60 yards. I couldn't see them, but I knew they were pretty close. But uh, eventually I heard a hen on on the backside of my tree uh, clucking a little bit, and that kind of sealed the deal for them. A little bit better caller, I guess, than, than myself. But uh, <laughs> they came, uh, two gobblers came strutting through, uh, strutting through the woods, and it was perfect morning. You know, it was just kind of seeing those uh two gobblers coming through and just working their way real slow and and you know it's just like being in the tree stand try to slow my breathing down and and kind of control and just say hey make a good opportunity here and they worked right in front of me and the front one was probably 20 25 yards and put it down I mean, it was awesome heck yeah well that you were able to get out three days yeah that was my third day turkey hunting yeah what would you say because i know like we had tim on a couple weeks ago and everything and how would you say as far as the amount of turkeys that you've heard maybe gobbling? Because I think back last year, last okay, so last year uh, I got out once with you, and it was that one morning, right? Mm-hmm. And then this year I I'm, I haven't gone out, nor will I think I will get out. Uh, so uh, how, what would you think how, how, how the you know quantity? What's up, Aaron? How you doing, man? Good. I'm, I'm. We're talking turkey real quick right now with Dimitri okay. shooting, shooting his bird. So, give him, I, I asked him a question because I've yet to go out turkey hunting, and uh, just with baseball and daughters playing softball, he was able to get out three weekends in a row, and he got the job done this past Saturday. So I'm asking him what the uh, quantity amount of birds he heard compared to uh, years past. I got you. Yeah, it definitely was down. I mean, like I said, this was the first time I've turkey hunted this property, which there was a couple of birds going off. Uh, but the spots we typically hunt, I mean, literally heard one bird. Yeah. And that's pretty unusual. I mean, you can hear for quite a bit long time. And, and even people that are hunting the same area, uh, which is, you know, a couple miles away, but it's pretty much the same mountain ridge and there's same thing you know birds aren't going off they're not talking uh not even gobbling off the roost so it's just been been a tough year for a lot of people i mean some people still got it done oh heck yeah yeah i I think too it relates to the what we were saying that on that episode with tim just saying you got to scout you got to put in the time and for some of us we we don't really have that amount of time. We kind of try to prioritize because, I mean, heck, we finally sighted in our bows and, mm-hmm. you know, for total archery here next weekend and everything in PA. So, uh, so yeah, so awesome, man. Congrats. Thanks. Yeah, got it done. Got the yep. chance to let the boys see the, the turkey and have yeah, fun with that. So. That was awesome. But awesome, man. Well, Aaron, Aaron's on the line. We got Aaron here in, in – uh, we got some people. Evening, everyone. What's up, Josh? Good to see you, buddy. Um. Aaron, so what's going on, dude? Aaron Blysey's here. He's a repeat individual from all the way. Aaron, you ready for this? Episode eight. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> who would have, first off, who would have thought we would, you know, Dimitri, you and I would be going until past 100. And, you know, now, Aaron, I, w- would this be 123? Uh, I think so. I think, you know, so from episode eight to 123, dude, I hope we're a lot better than episode eight. I, I, I will say that. <laughs> well, first of all, I want to congratulate you guys. That's awesome. I mean, that's, you know, um, that's uh, a milestone. When I hit it, I was like, I never thought it was obtainable. You know what I mean? And now I think I'm getting ready to publish 218 tomorrow, I think. 
And it's like, when I hit 200, I'm like, wow. Like, why am I, like, how, how did I do that? You know? Well, it's funny because I, I talk to a lot of friends and I feel like right now I'm making excuses for myself in a sense. And I hate doing that, but I'm like, man, right now I'm so busy with coaching baseball. My daughter's in like literally like six different things and trying to manage work and doing other things. And I'm like, man, I, I mean, our numbers are still great. So it's not like I'm trying to make excuses right. like, oh, no one's listening and all that type of stuff. But man, I'm like, it's tough. Yeah, it is. It, it's I've I think I've recorded more podcasts at nine thirty, ten o'clock at night than probably the average guy putting my daughter down to sleep and like, okay, now it's time for dad to go do his second job, you know. <laughs> so I hear you. I mean, we're we're in that same boat. Dimitri puts his two little boys to bed, and Nora's upstairs to bed, and here we are. So yeah. Oh man, it's a and the other thing too is the uh, editing and just making sure you, you're getting all your. T's crossed, your eyes dotted, all that jazz with it. Yep, for sure. Well, Aaron, so back from the the fall podcast, I I want to just right off the uh, kicker here to start things off. I asked the uh, Instagram, the old Instagram there, some questions, and a, a a mutual good friend of ours, okay, asked, "What will be your first big purchase from that Snickers contract?" Oh gosh, I know who you're talking about now. I'm just, you know, if he called me the other day and gave me crap about it. He's like, I got to congratulate you on getting the Snickers deal. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And uh, he's like, your podcast has got a Snickers uh, ad in it. I'm like, well, somebody's making money on it, but not me. I didn't know it was there. <laughs> but if he really wants an answer, I am just like a regular Snickers guy. Like I, I don't have a big sweet tooth, but I'll, uh, I'll just take a regular Snickers. No, that mutual friend's a good person, man. Yeah. Real good. Yep, for sure. Well, Aaron, I uh I like I said to you, we're through text messages, uh with Brandon's on. Hey Brandon, what's going on? I just uh I wanted to keep things kind of loose and I actually what's really neat is some of the questions that I I did want to touch upon or just kind of, you know, ideas. A couple people kind of talked about it, but before we dive into that, Aaron, how are things going, man? Like I was telling Dimitri, like you know, it seems like, I, I mean, I've been listening to, to your episodes for, you know, for a while and it just seems like things just go up in peaks and valleys, but man, recently you're, you're taking, taking a storm, like having awesome guests, awesome kind of stories, going Turkey, talking deer, you, you, you mesh really well with, uh, you know, your, your ideas. And I feel like that's where I have uh, trouble, you know, with us, like I selfishly always want to do what's interesting to us just because that's we're the ones doing it and talking and I want to have right. that, you know, kind of, uh, relationship or dialogue with an individual or with a guest. So man, what, what's going on with you? What's, what's happening? What's new and all that. You know, man, I, things are a blur right now for me. I feel like, um, you know, with, with building my house, trying to get this thing buttoned up and then, you know, my daughter, she's four, she's playing T-ball, she's dance, she's going to dance, she's, you know, doing all this stuff. And it's like, you know, two, three nights a week, we're doing that, that, you know, stuff for her. And then, you know, on top of doing a podcast, and then I produce another podcast for my boss. Um, and then I'm editing all of his digital content. So it's like, Right now, I just feel like I'm a warm human, just like in a body right now. I don't I like I'm 
I f- I'm starting to feel things slip a little bit, which is not normal for me. Like I'm forgetting things that I would never usually normally forget. I really got to have like a gut check moment right now and a recharge of like, hey, get your priorities back and straight, you know, like where, what needs to be done, you know, let's, let's get things back on the track here. And, uh, I just need to recharge the batteries a little bit, man. And, you know, as far as the podcast, I hate to say it, but it's kind of taken a back seat. Like I still put a lot of time and effort into it. And every week, you know, I've got an episode, I've, I've been trying to do two episodes a week and man, it is, that is difficult. It is so hard to do two a week. I want to because people want it, but I'm like, it is so hard. And uh, so like, I'm trying to do that. I just really feel like I'm burning the candle at both ends right now. And I need to, I need to take a step back a little bit and just figure everything out. But you know, um, as far as like the podcast goes, as far as the guests and, and the topics and everything, I try, you know, you guys know too, like, the February, March, April is so hard to do a podcast for because I like turkey hunting, but I can only do one turkey podcast because it's relevant. I don't want to listen to turkey podcasts. Um, and the numbers will tell you that too. Like my, my listeners don't want it, but I feel like there are turkey guys out there that want to hear it. So I talk about it and you know, I think now it's starting to come out of that bell curve a little bit, getting into June, like we're starting to see velvet a little bit. People are certainly starting to ramp up tax going on. Like our, your guys's tax going to happen soon. Ours is right after yours. Um, so like things are starting to ramp up. Like I was, I was working on my bow today to get my bow ready for tack. I had to do some tweaking to it and I got new arrows and I'm trying to get those dialed, ready to go. So like I'm kind of getting the back of the feel of things, but as far as the topics go, man, like I've had some good guests on tomorrow. I'm dropping one with Clint Casper and then I'm recording with Heath Cisco this week. And then I got another guy coming in later this week and I've got some good guests coming on, man. And I'm really, I can kind of feel like when I'm starting to get jacked up about it, like, like everybody else is too. So like, let's ramp it up kind of thing. Well, and I think the best advice for those February, March, April, you could give anybody is that's just the best time to earn as much brownie points as you can, that (laughs) you can accumulate (laughs) those so then you can redeem them in the fall. So, yep, I agree. Couldn't agree more there, but yeah, it's, 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 uh, I like to see, you know, that's an ebbs and flows, the numbers on the back end of things, they go down in the spring and then it's just like a slowly gradual up. And then it's like in the fall, it's like goes skyrocketing and it's a bell curve. It happens to everybody, you know? So yeah, no doubt about it. We see it too. I mean, that's why like going through, that's what the one thing, how I said about you have like the perfect blend of you. I mean, going through, you only had one or two guys mentioned about Turkey and you're talking about other things. And, uh, so that's the one thing like, cause I'm the same way. I, I mean, heck, like I said, I didn't even get out this year, nor will I probably have an opportunity to go out and hunt for a Turkey this year. I mean, I, I enjoy it, but it's not like the end all be all. I would rather right. Sunday evening go up to Dimitri's house and go shoot our bows and, you know, talk shop and do that rather than wake up at four o'clock in the morning and, you know, when I need that sleep (laughs) by that point in time and (laughs) Nora has a softball going on, but man, that's, that's awesome. And, you know, I, I love to hear that. And again, I've got mad respect, 200 over 200 episodes and congrats to you on that as well. Um, 
you know, that's great, man. That's, that's awesome. Well, let's dive into a couple questions that again, that, uh, some people asked on, on the, on the gram and all that stuff. And one of them, just because I know your background with, with, with sports and, uh, obviously with, with me still coaching and everything and Dimitri playing football in college, an individual asked, uh, you know, Aaron, what were, what are some similar, uh, traits to, from the game of baseball to bow hunting? Oh man, I just got chills because like, you know, <clears throat> I love baseball and I know you're a big baseball guy as well. And it sucks right now. My tigers are like just totally shit in the bed and it, it, it sucks to watch it right now. But, um, man, the similarities between baseball and, and bow hunting, is that, that was a question? Yep. Oh man. Um, well, to me, you know, bow hunting isn't a numbers game like baseball, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, the mental side of things for me when I played baseball was very like, I was a very superstitious person. I never touched the lines, the white lines, you know, that was like going on and off the field. Like I kind of carry that same thing into like bow hunting. Like I pack my pack the same way. I have to do it one way, or if I don't, then I'm all discombobulated but the mental side of things like being a hitter um you know what pitch is coming on a no two count uh I was a guy that on when I have two strikes against me I'm I'm looking off speed all the time you know and um you know it's just those kind of things as far as like translating into like how a deer is his mannerisms how he's moving through the timber like they're calculated pitchers are very calculated um and being a hitter, you have to be one step ahead. Try to be anyway. So, like, I, I think, like, the mental side, that might be the cop-out answer. But, like, the mental side of things is very um, very similar. And the other aspect is, like, a lot of people that aren't baseball people, baseball's boring. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, it's you got to be a special kind of breed of person to watch a nine-inning baseball game. So, like, hunting can be boring. Like, you're sitting there just you know, waiting, waiting. And then it's like, Oh, it happens. You know, it, baseball is the same way. Like you play the hot corner, you might be sitting there for a little while and then it's just like read and react. You know what I mean? So like there are some definitely similarities in, in the way that the ebbs and flows and how that stuff works. But I, I would say those two are probably the big ones for me. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think two of the number one, like you said, the mental game. And I always talk about how the game of baseball, it's like game of life. You're going to have your, your hot streaks, you're going to be on top of the world. And the next thing you know, you're 0 for 4 the next day. And you know you have yep. those you have those opportunities in the tree stand as well or in the saddle or whatever have you. And you're going to have those perfect opportunities and you're going to have that perfect pitch come down the plate and you miss it. You know, I always <laughs> tell tell my best hitters, if it's that 3-0 count and we're up or, you know, you have that, that, that green light on that, you cannot miss that fastball. And if you pop up and you're not getting that green light again, and it's the same way, you got that perfect – stop from that dough or buck and you shank it. I mean, it's, that's, it's Got tough a case to the yips, man. Yep. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I agree with you on that one. That was a cool question. I knew I, I felt like yeah. you, you would like that one. And then I picked out uh one more from, from a, from a guest and, or a follower, uh, toughest lessons learned over the years, hunting mature bucks. Um, Hmm. Boy. Just when you think you know them, you don't at all. Um, just when you think, I, I've been a person that like, 
for instance, you sit from a distance in glass and you see a deer do something one night and then you're, I'm the type of guy that's like, okay, I want to see him do it again. And then, then I'm going to move or then I'm going to get in on him and he doesn't do that again. And it's like, well, shit, why didn't he do that? Well, who knows? I mean, they're deer. We, they're, they're wild animals. Like we're giving them way too much credit. Um, man, hunting mature animal, mature whitetails is just, is a humbling experience. And like I said, just when you think, you know, whitetails, we don't, um, it's just that, that black and white to me, I guess it's, um, they're a different breed of animal. Like, you know, you grew up in PA. I grew up in Michigan. Honestly, I didn't start hunting mature or deer until 2014, 15, you know, really getting into the mature side. Of, and then, you know, when I would make trips out to like Missouri or Kansas or, you know, I filmed, filmed mature deer way before I even hunted them. So I did get to see that side of things. But when you got a camera in your hands, your mindset is elsewhere. It's not like, you know, you're trying to lay footage down. You're not really thinking hunt mode. So like I did get to be around a lot of mature deer and kind of learn that way. But when the bow is in your hand, it's a different story. They're a different animal. They're, in my opinion, they're almost like a different species of, of whitetail because, um, you know, I have yet to see a whitetail in Michigan do what like a five or six year old Kansas or Iowa deer does like on a, on a day to day basis, but we don't have a lot. I mean, the deer here are two and a half, three and a half. You might get a four and a half. You know what I mean? Like there are anomalies around here. So honestly, I mean, the long winded form of getting to it, but it's like, um, just when you think, you know, them, you don't, um, just, you got to stay one step ahead. Now, do you think that's because of the quantity of deer, like in a state like Kansas and then like PA, Michigan, a little less uh, deer density, or do you just think that maybe increased hunting pressure in kind of PA and Michigan would kind of create that different species of mature buck? I think it kind of goes hand in hand a little bit with, with the, um, with the increase of people definitely uh i don't know how to answer that i guess with the increase of people in the deer like the high the deer densities here where i'm at is there's just so many deer i mean it's i took a buddy out to my family farm the other night and we've got a 65 acre hay field out in front and i was like yeah in the summer every night we can come out here and drink a couple beers on a tailgate and watch 100 deer in this field at one time he's like no way and i'm like yeah, it's just that's the way it is. And you go out to Kansas and the experiences I've had, you might see a hundred deer in a week, maybe. You know what I mean? It's but the deer that you do see are are better quality. Now, to answer your question, I think with the higher population of people, um, obviously comes with killing more deer and not letting deer get to a certain age. We do know that. But um I just think you know, out in Kansas with the lower pressure like we're just going to say Kansas in particular, lower pressure deer have the opportunity to do more deer things without getting bumped or pushed or on a day-to-day basis. I mean, there are deer in some areas of like a Kansas that just don't see humans much, you know, and, 
and they might see the mailman or the road grader going by like our Kansas farm, like literally the road that goes through it for, I mean, there was almost 4,000 acres. The road that went through it was a two track that a grader would grade just so it was a County road, but he had to maintain it. You don't see people, but them and the mailmen, you know, it's like, that's just, I just think they have an opportunity to do more deer things and kind of get older. Hopefully that answers your question, but um, they just can do more without being boogered as much on a daily basis. Yeah, I agree. It's tough, man. It's it's neat though to to see the the difference just because I, I see it even when I go home, northeastern Pennsylvania, where I hunt more private land. Uh, and that's kind of well, the reason why I bring that up is because that was going to be my next question, just because I know you hunt a lot of private and uh, dabbled with that a little bit. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, Aaron, how do you or what would you give either myself or other listeners a chance to become better at hunting private land? So, like, let me run, give you a scenario, OK, because that could mean 100 different things I, I know. Yep. So take my scenario, for example, I don't have the opportunity to do kind of, it's big woods, you know, it's still mountain terrain features, kind of just think of a typical public land PA kind of, uh, you know, situation. However, there's no ag and your entry exit routes are still like kind of set. Like you can't really do much as far as like tricking or you got one really main in and one main out. Um, we still produce really good deer. Uh, I mean, there was this past year, my dad and I had great opportunities on a nice nine. He shot a, a really nice old seven point buck and, you know, just has always produced good deer, a lot of good quality, a lot of good quantity, but how would you go about hunting that private land better or try to make a situation where you can't do food plots or if you can maybe do it minimal and then Demetri like build on that. Cause I know you had more to that as well. Yeah, I'll let him answer and then yeah. I'll kind of... Yeah, go ahead, Aaron. Honestly, you know, I'm, I'm just going to speak from my experiences and the evolution I've had over like the last five years. And I've talked about it on my podcast is like my hunting strategy in the last five years has been flipped on its head. I used to be the guy that did the food plots and did like a lot of the land management side of things, which is nothing wrong with it. And I still kind of dabble a little bit with it. I'll put in some kill plots here and there, but honestly, what has made the biggest, um, the biggest positive for me in better deer sightings and better deer encounters and more kills is hunting less. Um, that might be a very weird and answer that you probably didn't expect, but hunting less and scouting more. Um, and so I have a big woods farm here, a family farmers, 218 acres, and it's all timber, but 65 acres of it. And, um, it's tough. It's a tough farm to hunt. There's only one entry and one exit. And it's the same thing. And you got to go through our ag field to get to everything. It's just how the property lays out. It sucks. Um, but on the flip side of that is I know hunting mornings up there is very difficult. So I don't hunt a lot of mornings up there. We do have a deer camp up there. Um, and if I want to hunt a morning up there, I will stay at the cabin. Like I'll stay, you know, 
stay the night where I know I can get up and I can just walk out the door and I'm not, you know, driving in with headlights and stuff like that. Um, so to kind of go further is on my scenario, I also look at like, what are the lowest holes in the bucket of like, what can I can and cannot do? I know if I have to hunt mornings, I got to stay the night there. I mean, I still can hunt mornings up there if I want to drive in, but it's very, man, you're blowing every deer out in the field. I mean, and you pull in there and there's 80 eyes in the field, you know, and it's like, then it's how, how deep they run in the timber. Where are you going? You know? Um, so look at the things that you can and cannot do as far as maybe entry or time of day or, um, you know, it might be one of those things too, like where I've started trying not hunting, going in in the morning, like driving in, but like after it gets daylight and the deer move off the field, then I'll come in if I can't hunt that morning and then kind of slip in through a back door and kind of catch them in like a transition or something like that. Um, but to kind of the, the biggest thing I've done that I've seen the most positive result from is hunting less. I mean, last year I hunted 13 sits. That's 13 sits the whole year. Now, I used to be the guy that was like, I want to hunt. I hunted all the time, every morning, every night, but I also didn't have a wife and a kid and stuff like that and priorities. But like, I only, I didn't hunt one morning last year in Michigan. What I would do is I would take my daughter to school and I would drive around my farm country stuff until I could find a deer to go after or make a move on some something. And I've done that for the last two years. And man, my sightings and my my encounters in stand have went up by a lot. I don't even know what the percentage would be, but um, I just feel like I'm getting more opportunities. So I guess like even the far or in the hill country, big woods stuff is like I, I'm more of a um, uh, like a surgical strike. I'm more of like a educated you know, going with a purpose instead of just going in to hunt. You know what I mean? Like I've learned to, I've got a night off, like I can go hunt, like, but normally I just go in. If it's not the right time, then I wouldn't go in. And I just, you know, they're more calculated sits. And I guess that's the best way I can describe it is my spring scouting's gotten better. Um, I I'm scouting more in the spring and I'm learning a lot from that. And, you know, being mobile is the next one. Mobile, mobile, mobile. Like I never, ever thought I would say that, but, and I'm So I don't mean to cut you off, but for private land, like that's the thing over the last three years for me hunting that property, I hunted my whole life and it was my dad, you know, you go to here, this preset stand or this, whatever the last three, four years there, have put me in better opportunities, more encounters, like you were just saying, because of being more mobile. I mean, I might yep. be in an area and then, you know, like you said, deer change year to year and they, from this trail is the hot trail this year. And if you move closer, you're, you're going to have more opportunities, stuff like that. And that's the one thing for me as well. Yep. And it was a long winded answer. I'm sorry, but yeah, those, the mobile and I'm, I'm ramping up the mobile even more this year. So I'm excited about that. Um, but I'm learning, you know, I'm a below average whitetail hunter. I, I like to say, cause that I'm learning it all the time. And I'm, that's the reason why I get the Heath Cisco's and the Troy Pottinger's and the Ryan Glitzkies and guys like that on the podcast, because I want to learn from the elite guys, the guys that I think are elite and 
they're the guys that I want to learn from. Yeah, Ryan's a freaking awesome individual. <laughs> Dude, I love Ryan. I love Ryan. So you, you were talking about hunting less, scouting more. So talk a little bit of how you go about that. You said, you know, maybe a morning you're you're driving around, checking fields, looking for a deer you want to target. What else are you doing? Are you diving in, you know, midday, looking for sign? You know, how else are you trying to increase those encounters with a lot of deer? Um, kind of talk about that, of, of how you're navigating especially during the season of where what kind of sign you're looking for is it rubs is it scrapes is it you know uh trocam pictures is is that trying to tell you something of when you're diving in to to kind of increase your uh percentages with these encounters with more mature bucks yeah so something that's really helped me in the big wood stuff is i think it was 2016 um, I started putting soaker trail cams out. I would in the big wood stuff, our private piece, our family farm, I would put cameras out and honestly it happened by happenstance a little bit. Just me being lazy. I put like six or eight cameras out that year, never went in and hunted them. I, I actually was traveling all that fall and I didn't get a lot of time to hunt here in Michigan. So they literally soaked all freaking fall. And when I went back and pulled that those cards at the end of the year, one camera in particular from, I, th- I want to say it was like October 10th through like the 24th of October. There was like 13 bucks in daylight moving through this area on this camera. Like it was every day in daylight, nothing, no dark. And I'm like, Holy shit. Like this is, you know, light bulb moment here. Okay. We got to figure, you know, they're using the hell out of this. And, um, coming into the next year, we're like, okay, so a buddy and I that hunts with us, we set up a stand and there is a set stand. We're like, all right, we trimmed it out early in the spring, like let it sit. He went in there. We waited, we waited until we put a soaker camera in there again, but we waited until like that, like October 13th, like time frame in there, waited for the right wind and good, good weather, like good temperatures, like a, a, a pressure system. He went in there, and I think it was a morning, I believe. It was either a night or a morning, but the first time in, a good buck came out, and he actually missed it. Um, But that deer did the same thing that that camera told us, and I'm like, shit. So since then, the third year, it kind of fell off a little bit. So the movement, it, it, it went down to, like, more night pictures. and like. So then we were like, why is it doing this? Well, we were hunting it a little bit more. And also the neighbor's property got logged off. So it really kind of changed their pattern. So then fast forward another year, I was like, a light bulb went off and I'm like, I want to find some more spots like these in the spring or the summer, let these cameras soak. So coming into 19, I pulled my Iowa tag in 2019. I knew I wasn't going to be able to hunt Michigan a lot. So I did the same thing and I, but I, I, I picked out some different areas. I picked out a, a spot that was on a hard edge where, uh, a regrowth, a 20 year regrowth of popples met a cedar or not a cedar swamp, but just a marsh swamp. I'll make, I'm going to, I'm going to put a camera here on this big trail and just kind of dart it to all see what happens. Well, in that summer we were watching 
a nine point that was probably he ended up going like mid 130s as a nine and he was out in our hay field all summer got footage of the deer and then he disappears you know they do that movement he disappears well in turn i had a kansas and an iowa tag so i left well that deer ended up getting shot like the third day of season by the neighbor and i went back pulled the camera at the end of the year that deer was living around that camera I had. I've got I've got trail cam videos and pictures of him for five days when he did his transition from like end of September until he got shot. Every day I'd get eight to ten daylight pictures of him getting out of his bed. He would just lay down. He'd get up, he'd walk around, and then he got shot on the neighbors less than two hundred yards from that camera. And I'm like, son of a bee, like, dude, okay, so then then come into the next year, I put a mock scrape in there, I set a stand in there, and same thing, bucks are moving through there. So it's just like, that helped out a ton. Um, soaker cameras, love them. I love cell cams. I, it's like my new thing, I just absolutely love them. But like, soaker cameras um, in areas where if you can have that, like, stay out of there and just like let it be you know i'm not saying don't go in and not check it during the season because curiosity gets the best of you but like you know i can't remember who said it i want to say it was like a ryan glitzky or something like that but he said you know this is like a three-year plan he goes into the spot puts a camera in you know lets it sit but it might take him three years to get a buck out of there but he will because he's going to find the right spot he's going to make a move and it might take him a little bit time but dude, I'm telling you, that was the number one thing that like really matured me as a hunter. And like I said, being more calculated, it really helped me be more calculated instead of like throwing a dart at the wall. Like, I'm going to go check out this train feature or this edge and just, just try to see what happens. No, it's more like calculated. Like I know things are happening there, but I do see like a, I do see like a two to three year around me anyway, two to three year, like overturn like it or I don't know if that's the right word I don't even know if that is a word but it like you know for two to three years it'll be like about the same and then it kind of like falls off and it's probably because of my pressure or something changes as far as timber an edge you know I don't know but uh if you can strike while the iron's hot like that that has been a huge thing for me well I think we struggle with that just because impatience right you yeah. know you, you mm-hmm. maybe go into a new spot you think it's really good put that summer camera up and, and you get some nice bucks on it and then you kind of want to dive into it. Right. Yes. And we've kind of talked it before some of the spots that we've been kind of learning every year we get better and we kind of figure it out. So, you know, I think you got to kind of take that multiple year plan, just like you kind of mapped out and, and put that camera in there. I know, I mean, trail camera picks, everybody loves trail camera picks. I mean, (laughs) everyone loves clicking through every picture and just waiting for that rack to pop up on there. I mean, that's just what we live for in the summer and into the fall months, you know. So leaving those soaker cameras is so hard, right? You know, it's just so tempting. It's right there in front of you and you want to go in there and check it. But you need that year-long intel to tell you what's actually taking place in that spot. Yeah, and um, you just triggered something as well now i can't remember what you said uh something because it triggered something dang i apologize but it was um curiosity yeah i think it was the curiosity thing it's like 
you know, that it was something hard for me because I really like to check my cameras all the time. Like, oh, that's what it was. Like, you get so excited about something and it's like, oh, you know, I want to. I think for hunters, they want the black and white answer. They want the A plus B kills a big buck all the time. You know what I mean? Like, give me that. There isn't that. It's just, it's, it doesn't happen that way. But, you know, in turn, I think like me maturing as a, as a, as a hunter, but also as a person getting out of that 26, 27 year old me of like, oh, I just got a huge buck on camera. I got to go in there and look, I got to, I got to find him out. Like, I know a lot of these guys, like the Eberharts are doing speed tours and everything like that, but like, you kind of, you got to take a step back when you hear them from these guys. Like you don't know their situation. You don't know, even though you hear them talking about getting into marshes and stuff like that. But do you know how that marsh, you know, lays out? John Eberhart has hunted three times more than I've ever have because he's so much older than me. He's got so many more experiences. So like you got to take a step back, you know, and just look at the big picture first. Look at like why this, ask yourself why always, why is this deer doing this? You know, you know, I love running cameras on video because I like seeing if he's going to come from the right or left or right at the camera, away from the camera. It's going to tell you a lot because you can start backtracking things from there. Well, why is he going that way? Well, there's a lot of betting over there and I went and checked and I found a couple buck beds. Okay. He is probably betting over there. Why is he going by the camera? Well, there's a bumper crop of acorns in 2019. Hey, okay, so I'm going to find that acorn tree, and when it's a, another good crop of acorns, guess where I'm going to be sitting? You know, it's just like looking at the big picture, taking a step back, taking a deep breath. I tell my daughter, like when she gets all riled up, I'm like, okay, take a deep breath, you know? Okay, and then she settles down a little bit, and it's like, just think. Like, you know, don't get B in front of C, or, you know, like B becomes before C, you know what I mean? So just like kind of taking in steps, I guess that'd be the best way to describe it. I love that. Let me ask you this question, Aaron, <laughs> just because I'm thinking of my scenarios of hunting with Dimitri or hunting by myself here or when I go back home. So like calculating your specific hunts, going in with that plan and, and, you know, like you said, it's a specific time of day, all that stuff for your evening, like you're going around scouting in the morning and all that, and you kind of know where you want to go for the evening hunt. How are you managing going in at that time when it, it is daytime, you know, about bumping deer possibly just because it seems to me when I go home, especially when it's getting good, man, if, if, if you're not in the tree all day or within a vicinity all day, I have a pretty good chance of when I walk down that North road, I'm bumping something because I, it happened to me twice. And I mean, I I'm creeping down as slow as possible because it could happen. I could even shoot when I look over some of these ridges on that road, North road. And heck, I won't forget. I was going down super, super still. And I called you that day. And I, as soon as I crest over, we both locked eyes, just me and this buck that, that he was bedded, he was bedded down with a doe and she got up and took off and they ran down in my direction. I ended up seeing him later that day because like just the way that doe actually came running back in, in my area. And I recognized him just because the rack was, was a uh, very distinct. Yeah. But as I was walking down, I was like, here he, like, again, he is 
two feet off of when I say a road, it's it's a beaten down kind of washed out trail. It's it, it, so it's not a road, but he was right there. I mean, two yards in thick stuff. I mean, you could walk the deer trail. That's there's the north road and then there's deer trails on each side. Uh, I, like I'm like crap. I needed to be here, and at that point in time, I got in there. It was pouring rain. I tried to time it perfectly when it was still raining a little bit. And that's what happened. Like I was, they were still bedding down, man. If I would have came down from the bottom, I don't know, like maybe they would have from that point continued to walk down, but the bottom presents a challenge to me because there's really no clear cut way for me to get in. Now I, we've got permission from that bottom that we could access it now. So fingers crossed, like now if, if I'm going in at the, uh, in the afternoon, that's going to be my thing is I'm going to try the bottom. Like, how are you going in and out, especially on those hunts where, you know, like, cause I feel really good in the morning going in undetected just because those deer are already at the bottom and they come yep. up. It's just, I'm, I have normally in the evenings, they're coming from the top down to the bottom. And so am I. <laughs> so, right. So, I mean, with your scenario with that, that buck on just better with a doe, off a road that's just that's just unlucky you know what i mean like that's just that sucks you know and you know how many times that happens like a lot you know it seems like it's i don't know that's just unlucky but as far as the way that i've changed over the years is i feel like when i get into the fall i am like always rushing it's like Oh, I got to get to the, like, I leave the house. I'm like, I got to drive 90 to get to the property. I got to get my shit on real fast. I got to get in the tree. Like now I got to go. I got to go. Like the biggest thing I've done is just slow the hell down. If I can't get out and if I want to be sitting by three, like I make sure I have to leave like at a good time where I can just be like, now, nah, you know, all right, I'll get there. And one scenario last year, I, I know very vividly is because I've really started when I hit the timber, I am slow, like almost sickening slow the way I walk. Um, because I just, I don't know, man. I, I just, I hate bumping deer. It's one thing for a deer to hear you. And then it's another thing for a deer to see you and then smell you as well. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm taking a couple steps very slow. And then it's just like, you know, looking around, scanning a little bit. And, and if it takes me an hour to get from my truck to my stand, when it really should only take me 15 minutes. And then it does, because I feel like slowing down, taking a minute, being a little more cautious, strategic about it is, is, is panned out better for me. I mean, how many times you get to the base of a tree and you got to hang a tree stand or a saddle or whatever. And you're like, I just got to get in the tree now. Like I got, it's really like, how many times have you actually had a deer run underneath you when you're hanging a stand? Me, I, maybe once, you know what I mean? So it's like, not to say it can't happen, but just take your time, you know, smooth as fast, fast as smooth. You know how they say like, you know, just, just go slow and, and be calculated with it. And, you know, my biggest thing is, my farm country stuff here around my house, I don't have, I have like one entry and one exit to the whole, like all my little pieces of timber. 
So like the first thing I got to think about is wind. Like the wind's got to be right. Like if the wind's not right, I can't go hunt it because I'm hunting one acre and I'm hunting four acres. So like, you know, if that's not, and I, I try not to push into those little woodlots because they're, they're in there, you know, um, a lot of times. So, but like the big, big wood stuff is like, you're always going to give up something. You're never going to have your cake and eat it too. So I always have to have that in my head as well. So like, what do I want to give up is kind of the thing that I look at as well. Um, and wind is another thing. I'll always play the wind. I'll never be the guy that's like, uh, you can't, you can't tell me otherwise. (laughs) So I don't know if that answered your question or not. (laughs) Absolutely. And you just talked about, and it's another question I was going to bring up tonight is, is you're hunting small parcels of land, right? You know, you have a couple different, I remember hearing talking on your podcast of, you know, you're not hunting huge chunks. And then you also have a small property where you were hunting a couple, just a couple acres. Right. Um, you know, so that kind of is very familiar with a lot of people, right? We don't all have these huge, uh, properties, whether it has ag and, you know, the, the perfect whitetail set up on it, or, you know, um, even when you're on public land, you know, you got to kind of break it down into smaller parcels too, right? You know, sometimes it's just too big to really navigate of where the deer and how they're moving. So, you know, can you dive into, you know, these smaller chunks of land of, you know, that might not have everything that you're looking for. It might not have all the bedding, all the, the food source, you know, the, the transition corridor, you know, where, what are you looking for on, on some of your smaller pieces and, and how you're hunting those and navigating your hunting season with, with, uh, the smaller pieces of land? Yeah. So the first thing that I was trying to do is make it where it'll hold a doe, where it'll hold a doe or a doe family, I honestly went into it thinking like, I don't care if the bucks don't live on me. Um, I know that these spots, I have a, I have a piece that's one acre and I have a piece that's four acres and it's got all ag around it. So going into it, the one acre was all mature, no under undergrowth, no nothing. Um, I mean, there wasn't a plant growing up cause the sunlight couldn't get the forest floor. I went in there and cut and caught and, and, and did hinge cutting all over. And now it is a flipping jungle. Like it is ridiculous how it looks. Um, a deer can't walk through it without getting brushing up on something constantly. Uh, but what I did is I cut out about, about as big as my pickup probably in the middle of it. And I planted just frost seed clover in it every three years and I put a mock scrape in the middle of it. Every deer that walks through that piece of that one acre comes to that epicenter. And they, I've had bucks on camera lay there for 14 hours. And I've learned so much in that one acre and how bucks bed that it's, it's unbelievable. I have so much buck footage of just like a time-lapse of, of a buck sitting there for 14 hours. This one instance, he comes in, in the morning, he beds up right in front of the camera in this clover. That's it. He beds there for six hours, never moves for six hours. And uh, right after the six hour, he gets up, he stretches, 
He turns around and beds back down the same bed. And I'm like, hmm. I went to Weather Underground and I went back to that day and I went to the time the wind had switched on that time. And he was keeping the wind to in his favor. So he literally, after six hours, got up, bedded right back down, chewed his cud. He would put his head underneath his, his arm. He'd fall asleep. For 14 hours, I watched him do this. And it was just like crazy. And you know he wouldn't move. Other deer would come in. I could see other deer behind him kind of come in, and he'd just kind of look at him, and then they'd leave. Um, I've had... I've had bucks bring does in there and bed them up in the in the rut and sit there for four hours at a time, you know. And he would just hover her, you know. She wouldn't move, or he'd she'd get up, he'd get up. He would get the wind in his favor. You could see him move around and just kind of keep the wind in his favor. And other bucks would come in, he'd chase them off. It's nuts. But I didn't happen to see it live. I didn't have cell cams. This was like after I pulled a camera and like the you know those soaker cameras you talk about. Um. So my main focus was to make sure I could hold does because I knew I was going to hunt this in the rut phases. That's, you know, in one acre, you're not going to be able to hunt it 10 times a year. You just, you could try, but you'd probably do more harm than good. You got to strike while the iron's hot on that. Um, I mean, I don't think I've sat in the one acre more than four times in a season, to be honest with you, but I absolutely love it. It is it can be very boring. You might not see a deer for four days or four sits, but then when you do see one, it's going to be the right one. And it might be at noon. I've had a buck come through at noon. He's like 125 inch, 10 pointer came through at noon, just like looking for a doe. And they know, they know that these does sit in this, this one acre. And one of the light bulb moments that went off, uh, it was not last year, not 21. It was 20, 2020. I was chasing this big six pointer. I actually shot him this last year and, um, he was a six point the year before I was sitting in a stand 200 yards from the one acre on a fence row. And it was a fence row that like kind of leads to the one acre. Well, on the neighbors across the field from me, I saw him cut. It was a morning hunt. I saw him come out and come right to me to 70 yards and he wouldn't commit. I had a cell cam in the one acre. He goes behind me. The one acre's behind me. It wasn't 15 minutes later. My phone pings. He's in the one acre and he's hitting that scrape. And all he did is he hit the scrape. He turned around and left. All that deer was doing was going in there just to see what doe had been in there since the last time he was in there. And I'm like, another light bulb moment. Like, you know, if I was sitting there that morning, I would have killed him. You know, so it's just like some things. I, in farm country, I've learned more about deer and deer behaviors in farm country in two years that I've learned in big woods settings in 20 years. It's just crazy how much you learn about deer movements and mannerisms, you know, it's, but you got to handle those little acres with, with kit gloves and, you know, you got to be strategic with it. You can't just go blowing through there. I don't hunt the middles of them at all. Um, I hunt the fringes. I'll only hunt about 40 yards in at the most on my four acre piece, just because I get any deeper and I've got a, like a little sanctuary in there. It's just, it's a natural sanctuary. It's really thick in the inside. So I just like to hunt the outsides and just kind of hope and pray. Man, is it October yet? <laughs> <laughs> 
Jeez, Aaron. Hopefully I'm asking you guys or answering your guys' questions. Absolutely, man. I want to ask because we you were kind of you mentioned it briefly a little bit ago. And I it was the right time then and and I feel like we it was perfect to to go back to it because we we talked about the private, we talked about other little land management type stuff and how you your scenarios. Now you you you're 218 episodes in. You have a plethora of people tuning in every every week and you know like you said doing two episodes. We've been doing this now for over two years, and you know I I like I said I I love doing this and I love listening to other people's podcasts. Where do you think people are missing the mark with all the information out there as hunters? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like a couple of years ago, Dimitri, like we were like, oh, we're going to be going and diving in that buck bed and getting aggressive and, and doing this. And, you know, then we're like, oh, maybe we're going to try it. Like, we're, you know what I mean? Like, we, I almost feel like every year there's like, we're going to try this. We're going to try that. And, you know what I mean? And like, not, and I don't say like, that's the only thing we do that year. Like we, we add things to your toolbox basically. And, and mm-hmm. we try things, we scratch off things and cross them off if they don't work and, or for that property, what, what have you. Where do you think most people are missing the mark with all this information out there? Because like now, like you were saying, like from that April, March, April, May, you know what I mean? Like there isn't a lot of things you could really dive into. And I, I mean, I don't know, like what, what do you think that is? The missing the mark? As far as the listeners? With yeah, the like, like, yeah, like listeners, like yourself on certain things maybe or, or whatever, what have you. Yeah, you know, I think and this is all from experience and I'll kind of get in why I think this way, but I think where people are misinterpreting the information they might be retaining is I'm going to kind of go back to like your scenario might be different than mine. I can tell you about a deer that I shot on a one acre. You may have a one acre, but your one acre might be totally different than mine. Um, I think where, they're going wrong is like listening to a Mark Drury and then going out and implementing Mark Drury, you know, things on their Michigan farm or their, you know what I mean? You know what I'm trying to say? Like the best way I can put it is like, listen to everybody, listen to the juries, listen to you guys, listen to the working class bow hunter guys, listen to me, whatever the Andy Mays, the Ryan Glitzkies, the Troy Pottingers, Listen to those guys, but take tidbits and apply them to what you're doing. Troy Pottinger hunts some of the biggest, most continuous public land pieces in the country. Some of the most rolling hill places where you shouldn't kill big deer like he does. So when I talk to him, I don't hunt anything like he hunts. But what can I get out of it? Selfishly, I wanted to know what I could get out of it. And there's a couple things that I got out of it. One of the things was he loves hunting dark timber. And I'm like, hmm, I've got dark timber. Like what I mean by dark is like it's getting dark in the timber 20 minutes before it is out in the field. Like when you get down your stand, you walk out, you're like, shit, I could have sat 30 more minutes. Like that's dark. Like big bucks get killed in dark timber, you know? And then like his, his scrape his scrape game is like ridiculous. You know, those scrapes can be used anywhere in the country. So like taking stuff like that and applying it to your scenario, 
there's no copy and paste. There's no black and white. There just isn't. In in when it was a light bulb moment for me is when I was in high school and into college. I watched a lot of Lee and Tiffany on TV, and I'm like, God, their food plots look so lush, and they're killing giants. Okay, so I was like, I need to put in lush clover plots so I can kill a Michigan buck. Well, I did. I wasted a lot of freaking time, effort, and money and spent way too much time in the timber and didn't kill a deer on a food plot. And I'm thinking, then I'm scratching my head like, am I, like, what's, you know, what's going on? And then I lose two or three years of woodsmanship that I could have been gaining by going and scouting or hunting differently or I'd hunt food plots every year. You know, I'd, I'd make these food plots and they'd be lush and everything, but the deer wouldn't eat them in the, in the sun or in the daylight. And I'm like, what the hell? Things just don't, they don't mesh. Like my best friend has a good property, 15 minutes from me. He kills deer on food plots because you know what? He's got a property that allows it (laughs) and mine don't, you know? So it's just taking the information you're getting, taking it, and like breaking it apart, what can I obtain or what can I get out of it? And how can I apply it to myself? Don't think Mark Drury is one of the, you know, he's a deer whisperer. But like doing what Mark Drury does on his farm, killing a 200-inch deer is not going to kill you a 200-inch deer in Michigan. I don't mean to be blunt, but that's just take take what you can out of everything. Listen to everybody and take what you can out of that. And that's like the perfect answer because that's exactly what I was thinking. And and almost a sport analogy that I was thinking as you were kind of answering that is, you know, you kind of see in like Sports Illustrated or online, like they say the perfect, like right now in the NFL, the perfect quarterback, right? You might take this guy's arm, this guy's speed, this guy's yeah. awareness, right? And they, you know, they have a picture of just like the one guy's arm, the one guy's head, the one guy's feet, right? So you're trying to take a little bit, not the whole the whole person, and you're trying to piece that together to make what fits you, right? Not so much, you know, the quarterback, but whatever situation you're in. And and, and I think that's how you have to kind of take those tidbits. And then when you're out in the woods scouting or hunting or doing that, you know, you might see something and it's like a light bulb goes off and you're like, oh, I remember that guy talking about that little bit and that fits me right here. So I need to kind of implement that into my strategy a little bit, not his whole picture, but maybe that just little bit that he was talking about. Then you go do something else and then you're like, oh, light bulb, this other guy was talking about this and this is very similar to what I'm talking about. Then the piece is starting putting in place and then that puzzle is going to take form. You know, um, I got a sports analogy just because I watched the movie last night. Have you guys watched the Kurt Warner movie, The American Underdog, about Kurt Warner? I have yet to see it. Dude, it's really good. And, Dimitri, like, I got a a thought in my mind because I just watched it last night. So, like, Kurt Warner, for everybody out there listening that doesn't know, he played – he was a – he's a – in the Pro Pro Football Hall of Fame – he went to Northern Iowa College as a quarterback, only started like one season, was a backup for four years, you know, went undrafted. He was he was like stocking shelves at Hy-Vee, you know, convenience store and got a phone call. 
Yeah, and he got a phone call to go play arena football. And he went and played arena football for two years, and then the Rams called. And then he takes, you know, Trent Green's spot, and after he goes down, and he goes and wins a Super Bowl. And this kid was like, they're saying he's the, you know, best. Um, Kurt Warner was the best undrafted NFL player to ever play the game. But when you look at it, that Rams team that won the Super Bowl, they had little pieces that weren't great but they meshed together. Kurt Warner was an arena football player. They had Isaac Bruce, which was an awesome receiver, but he was just like, you know, he was just okay. And then Marshall Falk, you know, like they meshed all these things together. And and look at Tom Brady. I mean, he's the GOAT, but like six-round draft pick, he's always got like, you know, a Gronk or an Edelman or like guys that are are good, but they're not like, Gronk's probably going to be the best tight end ever, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like they just put all these pieces together to to make, like if if he didn't have all those pieces, Tom Brady, he's probably not the goat. Like, you know, like, I don't know. You look at any quarterback out there. If we're talking quarterbacks, like, quarterback could win you a couple games in a year, but he's not going to win you a Super Bowl like in a full season. You know, like you got to have pieces around him. No doubt. I'll tell you what, though, you did say a name on there who I pretty much take his word for gospel, and that's uh, Andy May. <laughs> and yeah. it, 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 oh, yeah. It's just, yeah. Um, dude, I'll tell you what, Aaron, when I had uh, at ETA this year, I got a chance to go down there and work the event with uh, Tethered, and he was the one person out of the whole weekend uh, that, like, I made it a point, like, to try not to be, like, a fanboy. <laughs> And I was like, you know, cause he's, he was obviously there working with tethered as well. And I was like, what's up, Andy? Like introduce myself. He's like, Hey man, how are you? And I was like, I, I, I said to him, I was like, Andy, I'm not going to lie. I'm like kind of fangirling right now. <laughs> he's like, you know, and he's just so sincere, such a good guy, you know, dad and all that type of stuff. So, but yeah, anything that man speaks, I'm like all ears. You want to talk about calculated though. I mean, he is calculated. Like he the biggest piece of information I've taken from anybody is probably one is from him and how he scouts more than he hunts. He glasses a lot. When I started doing that in the mornings, like I'll take mornings off and just go glass. And my friends are like, why aren't you in a tree? And I'm like, well, I can tell you why I'm not, but you're just going to think I'm stupid. So, but then, you know, he glasses a lot and he only gets weekends to hunt really. Yeah. Cause he's and, a teacher too. So like that's yeah. another, that's another reason why I'm always like, uh, what you kill this all the time. And you know what I mean? He's killing four or five deer a year. And it's like, geez, oh, beats. I killed three bucks last year. And I'm like, I'm like, how the hell did I do that? And he's doing it multiple times, you know? So, um, but he hunts a lot of like what I hunt in Michigan, like as far as farm country. So I listen to everything Andy says and the same thing. Like I take little tidbits of like what he says and I want to pick his brain. I haven't had him on my podcast yet just because everybody's had him on his podcast and I don't want to like ask him every question that everybody's already asked him and just regurgitate everything. So I'll have him on eventually. So such a really down to earth yeah. individual. I I mean, he, he fits the bill. I, I was really impressed with, with him. Um, he's the goat dude. Yeah. He's yeah. the DIY goat. <laughs> yeah. No doubt about it. <laughs> I want to, because I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, what I do want to ask you, though, before before we do get off, Aaron, is just because you were saying earlier, I know you go down to Kansas and do all that type of stuff. You know, we're you know we've gone out to other states and and done things. And um, what would you say are some like out of state quick hitters, like some tidbits that like, hey, 
definitely got to do this. I mean, obviously you scout, e-scout, all that type of stuff. But it was like, is there anything else that you've taken away like over the last couple of years of, of going out of state and just saying, hey, like this is, it's not really well talked about or just it's, it sometimes is like, is there anything like that that you think you could elaborate on? If you're coming from an Eastern state, a PA, a Michigan, a New Hampshire, New Jersey, forget everything you were ever taught about hunting and figure it out when you get there <laughs> because it's so different. It's like, I mean, the things that don't work for me in Michigan where it's like, man, you know, I just couldn't kill a deer on that field edge here in Michigan. You probably will out there. You know what I mean? Um, don't get trapped in a mindset of uh, preconceived notions maybe of like, well, this never worked for me, so I'm not going to do that. Throw all that out the window. Literally be open to everything. Everything that comes to your mind, be open to it. And rule for me is, if my gut tells me to do it, you do it. Like, you got to do it. Um, something that we do in filming like when we're filming hunts and stuff like that, like it's so, something so little. But if you have to ask yourself if I should get that shot, then you should get that shot. You know, if you're like, ah, maybe I should go sit over there. Well, then you should go sit over there. You know, how many times have you probably talked yourself out of situations where it's like probably cost you more times than you probably don't even know. So like be open to everything um, and try different things. If, if, if you are literally, you know, traveling for the first time or for the first couple years or whatever, and you go out to these places, literally be open to everything. Try new things because if you don't try new things and be uncomfortable, you're never going to learn. You'll never learn. Be, try to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Like I know that's probably a cliche, but, um, try some different things, man. If, if, if you're usually a passive hunter, get aggressive like over push it to see what happens sometimes. Um, you know, that'd probably be my biggest thing. Last one that I have is, uh, you're talking about mo mobile hunting. I know you're going to, I know you, you, you're on the podcast with, uh, a buddy cam over there with Exodus and all that yep. stuff. And you're talking about like your, your mobile hunting setup and switching to try and saddle hunting this year. You know, other than that, is there anything else you're going to be trying or what's your process going into the upcoming season with, with that? Um, man, saddles give me my biggest change. Uh, I used to hunt out of a saddle back in 2010 and 11. And, um, you know, as of recent, I can't really say anything right now, but, um, there's a new partner that I'm, I've signed with. So, um, and I'm really super jacked about it and, um, it's a saddle, but it's, uh, it's going to, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to be all saddle. I'm going to be a majority of it. I haven't hung one stand yet this year. Um, all the trees that I prepped this summer, I've prepped, I don't know how many I've prepped. They've all been for a saddle knowing I was going to be in a saddle this fall, but like, um, That'll be the biggest change because a saddle is just another tool to use. And, and, but I, I see the benefits. I really see the benefits. 
um, I'm going to knock down about eight pounds of my whole setup, <laughs> like by using a saddle, but there's a learning curve for me. I struggled out of a saddle when I first hunted out of a saddle. And, um, I think it was a couple of different reasons. I think it was a lack of information back then that we didn't have. And I remember hearing you say to you, like, didn't you hunt from the ring of steps there? Yep. Yep. Cause I, I learned from John Eberhardt how to, and you know, he, he told me to do a ring of steps and um now dude you just got a platform you and he's anti-platform and i that's fine but like you know i'm not hunting trees that are 12 to 18 inches in diameter either you know like you should be able to shoot around i would think um but anyway i struggled out of it so i'm i'm practicing like crazy this summer and going to do that. It'll be the biggest change. Um, man, gear wise, trying to be more of a minimalist. Um, if you give me a pack with 18 pockets, I'm going to fill 18 pockets. So it's like, you know, I don't, I take three knives, but I, I don't need a knife. Like, you know, so like, uh, trying to be more of a minimalist, I'm going to film my hunts this year. Um, I have a love hate with self filming. I love it. I love the, I love the thought of it. And I love when people love to watch it on YouTube, but when I'm doing it, I fucking hate it. Um, (laughs) yep. But I, one thing I am going to do is, uh, I'm literally just going to buy a $200 handy cam. That's just to open the, open the screen on and hit record and use a GoPro and I'm just going to do it raw. And, uh, however it comes out, it comes out and have fun with it. Cause I want everything to be little and light. And if it's going to be too much of a hassle, then I'm not, I'm not going to like it. Convenience is King for me. And if it's too much to handle, then I'm just, I get bored with it. So well said, man. I love it. That's how exactly how I feel, and I, I'm like, yeah, that's how I'm gonna. That's how I'm gonna run into self filming this year, and then like, I get, I something happens, and I'm like, screw it, I'm done with it, and I just throw up a yeah. GoPro and then get what I get, and it is what it is, and it sucks too because yep. like we will get like a message here and there where it's like, oh man, when when when's this episode gonna come out, or are you gonna f- show that one? I'm like, oh, sorry, bud, but didn't <laughs> didn't did, did happen. Didn't bring the camera along. Just uh. It was, I'll tell you what though, this past year I did. And I stopped after that buck encounter, which I know those that followed along or remember I, I, when I stopped taking it, I will say I enjoyed it more. I was more like, I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy it before by any means, but it's just, you don't have to worry. You know what I mean? And like, kind of like what you were saying, Aaron, like, cause I've been on the fence this year. I'm like, do I, do I take it back out? And part of me is like, if I do, and I just hit record and if it's, recording my shoe but you hear the thwack maybe hopefully then so be it like i it is what it is yeah and you know the big thing for me is the camera arm and cameron and, and i've talked about it just through text or on the phone or something it's like the camera arm is the biggest thing if if you don't have a camera arm that's real easy to put on and and everything like for me that's like you just stop doing it but um you know it's uh I don't know. I, I've killed deer, not on camera. And it's like, damn it. I wish I would have had that on camera. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's just of, um, 
just an inner battle with myself. It's like, dude, just do it. It's really not that. Because I look at buddies that, you know, they don't film for a living, but like they go out and they film all their stuff. And I'm like, that's freaking cool. Like that you do that, you know? And um, I don't know. I, I'm going to do it until people. The thing is with the podcast and the following that I've kind of established, like people want to see it. Yeah. And. They don't care the quality. They just want to see what I'm doing. They want to see what the one acre looks like. I do. I get so many questions on the one acre and like, what, like, are you hunting in the one acre? And I need to kill a deer out of it, but I I don't get to hunt it much. Like I, I, I like to be really strategic with it. And I've went to three quarter draw on a buck in it. And, um, but it's so thick. I think I made it too thick where I can't really shoot through, <laughs> shoot in it, but we'll see. Awesome, man. Well, Aaron, where could people find you and, and follow along? Like I know you're saying two episodes a week. What days do you release or try to release? All that stuff, man. So the fall podcast on Apple or Spotify, anywhere you download your podcast, Tuesday's the main show. Um, at, tomorrow morning, as we're recording this, it, they drop at 5 a.m. Eastern time every Tuesday. And if I can get one out on Friday, um, it'll be Friday at 5 a.m. So, but every Tuesday for sure. And then Instagram is just the fall podcast. And then Facebook is fall podcast, I think. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the best way to reach me. Awesome, man. Well, thank you everybody again for tuning in, Aaron. Thank you so much for your time. Definitely go check him out. If you're not listening to Aaron on the fall podcast, it's great stuff. Awesome guests. Like we've, I've already mentioned on here. Uh, thanks again, everybody. And we'll see you next week till next time. Antler up. Cool. That's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Again, thank you everybody for tuning in. Check us out over at antlerupoutdoors.com. Check out our Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and our Go Wild pages. Thank you again, everybody, for all the continued support. See you next week. Antler Up.